We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. You're listening to Lore Keepers, a lore-building podcast where we talk about aeons of history, heroes and villains, and the forces that whirl about it all. I'm Carter. And I'm Frank. And whether you're interested in stories, looking for inspiration in your own world-building, or perhaps you want to participate, we've got something for you. But first, Frank. That's right. Uh, yes, um, so... First of all, we this is our one-year anniversary uh, of doing the podcast. If you're looking for a different episode that previously took up this spot, just check out episode 1X. It's right next to this one. You'll find what was originally there. Uh, we decided as like sort of a special situation for the anniversary to re-record the first episode and do a better job with everything that we've learned in the last year of recording uh, to talk about these things and... Get a better gist of it. So this week, we are going to be talking about the Ash Curse. And for anybody who's listened before, this is a revisiting, but we will be shedding some new light on some old things. Uh, and for people who are new, don't worry. We're going to break down everything, make it very simple, and give you lots of places to go from here if you're curious or confused or want to learn more about the world of Halloween. But before we get into all that, how you been doing, Carter? Uh, I've been doing excellently. Just last night, I went to a birthday party of one of my sensei for the martial art I do. Which and is? So, uh, which is Aikido. I wasn't sure if you were being cagey about your, being your martial arts of choice. Yes, uh, it was very fun, even though I didn't know many people, but, you know. And I was also 15 years younger than everyone there, but at least... Oh, I didn't realize that like Aikido was, I mean, just a lot of people who are, who are learning it are much older. Oh no, it was just, I'm the only student that went. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's actually kind of cool. Was it a good time? Oh yeah, it was, it was a very, very good time. Talked some philosophy with some guy from Hungary. It was great. Oh, nice. That's always good. You know, my, that's one of my favorite things to do is to find guys from Hungary and talk to them about philosophy. It's yeah. a good pastime. Shout out to my boy Gabor. Gabor. Yep. I like that. That's a cool name. But Frank, how are you doing? I don't know. It's been uh it's been a crazy week. Um it hasn't been that crazy. It's been an it's been an alright week. It's been in like the weather has just not let up. I know we have we normally have a faux pas about talking about the weather because I live in Minnesota, but we've gotten over like a foot of snow in the last like four days and it's still snowing right now it's been basically every day it's kind of insane there's piles of snow that are taller than most people's cars wow yeah it's it's ridiculous it's, it's 83 degrees here <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, yeah we, we it takes all kinds to be a lore keeper i mean aside from that though you know day's been pretty good i've mostly just been hyped about uh about you know, recording this episode and getting back into exploring the world of Halime. Really, all we ever do is think about this podcast and you, our lovely listeners. Yeah, basically, after we stop recording, I just go into recovery mode where I just sit still, you know, hands in my lap in a room with the light off until I need to uh, record again, you yeah. know, and then I'm reactivated and sent into to my closet where I record. And there you go. Yep. <laughs> So, speaking of being sent to certain places uh, ooh, to ooh. do to do things, oh. yeah, you got to start off real strong with those segues. You know, people people really get a kick, really gets their rocks off. And speaking of getting your rocks off, we're talking about the biggest rock of them all, I, and it's Star? destruction. Oh yes, okay, <laughs> okay. Crystals all are right. rocks. So let's get into it. Um, 
so for the first uh, for this first episode, oh, this is so weird because it's the first episode and kind of the forty first episode, but whatever. Um, so here in Lore Keepers, the way we typically approach storytelling and world building is that we build it right in front of you. There's not a there's there's not like just a a clear line between what is known and what is unknown as we start the episode. And so uh, the way we treat it is basically for the people uh, of the world of Halime, we treat it as though this is, this is, these are myths that are generally agreed upon, um, but not necessarily fact. And this makes it a lot easier for us to play with truths while not, you know, while still feeling like people get confident information about the world around them. Yeah, it's everything is canon, but not everything that is canon is true. Yes, exactly. Um, and so our approach with this one uh, basically is if you're wondering now, hold on, you, you you moved real fast. Let's start with a couple of basics. What is Halime? What is this world that we're talking about? Uh, and and like, why do why are we talking about it? I mean, I think the answer to the last question is mostly just because it's fun. We are both storytellers, and uh, Carter and I just like to explore different options or ideas or things and, and flesh out episode by episode, week after week, little parts of this world that we are collectively building. If you're curious as to why we're building the world, well, a part of it is... So, so Halime is a multiverse of several different cosmic realms that are all connected back to sort of one anchor point. So it's not like... If you know Magic the Gathering, you know, or Star Wars, a lot of these places have sort of just a decentralized nature where you just kind of move from place to place. And, you know, in Star Wars, there's a different planet or in, you know, Magic the Gathering, you just jump to a different realm, a different dimension. Um, what do they call it? Planes. You know, they just jump to a different plane. And so there's no like the closest that I think that Magic has is Ravnica, where it's like, you know, a centralized plane that is like one world city. The entire plane is just one city. And then in Star Wars, you have, like, you know, centers of the galaxy like Coruscant. But in Halime, it's different. In in Halime, everything is very intrinsically connected. There's It's a much more holistic sense, which means that it's less like we're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and just creating new shit that doesn't associate with the old stuff. Um, it's more about fleshing out the old stuff and, and revisiting things. And we do add new things, but they usually are... Uh, woven back into things that already are like extant yeah we talk about long scales of time as well so some things that are right connected it given that they're in the same world can be separated by thousands or hundreds of thousands of years exactly so uh the purpose for all of this and where this all came from was because Carter and I, like, we both play Dungeons and Dragons, and in Dungeons and Dragons, you you spend a lot of time, you know, in a world, either the world can be created content, or it can be something that um, the dungeon master, the person who's sort of running the game and playing all the, the background characters, operates in. So they'll they'll basically control all of the people that the other players in the game will encounter and experience and flesh out the world behind them. They, you know, are the set design, and they're the, the backdrop and stuff. And so for us, we took it as an opportunity to build out a world in which games of D&D can be played, but also where stories can be told. And beyond D&D, just like, you know, we both have a, a passion for fantasy. And so we wanted to create a place that, you know, we can explore our own versions of, of tropes that we like in fantasy and mix them in new and interesting ways. And so what Carter is mentioning with uh, the ages, this is something that uh, if you listen to the podcast, you'll see a lot of. Uh, Avums. They are called Avum. So you've got Avum Prima, Avum Secunda, Avum Tertius, Avum Quartus, and Avum Quintus. Those are sort of the five main ones that we'll talk about. Sometimes we mention Avum Senio, um, which is sort of something that's way far out. But if you're confused, just think about it like BC versus AD or BCE versus CE. In that each one of these is a division and a, a drastic, it represents a drastic shift in the way that the world operates. And from if, if you do understand D&D and, um, you know, D&D mechanics, then the equivalent of that is think of it as like the difference between a Conan the Barbarian style world versus like a, you know, Lord of the Rings style world or uh, or one that kind of more reflects the um, the common cultures of the 21st century. Uh, and so each one of these has a different flavor and will attack uh, uh, each one with, you know, a different perspective. 
just like the people of that time would have had a different mentality, um, so do we approach it that way. Yeah, so as, as Frank's saying, each Avum has its own kind of defining features, which gives us room to try different stuff in different time periods to see how just, you know, how crazy we can get. But in general, we kind of like to come back to our anchor point, which is, as Frank was saying, Avum Quintus, which is where we kind of see the more standard fantasy stuff, nothing too crazy, cultures resemble the 24th century, capitalism is a thing. Right. So uh, we won't get into each of and every single one of the ages here. Um, if you're curious about more of that stuff, uh, the number one place that you can go to find out more information with a podcast description of whatever episode you're listening to. Uh, after the episode, we always uh, like make clear delineations of like, if you're curious about this thing mentioned in the episode, go ahead and check out this other one. And you can keep on just going down the list and you'll have a whole set of, you know, you something grabbed you about what you were listening that episode. And you're like, oh, I want to check out this other thing. And so then you can jump onto that one or you can jump onto the next one. As far as all of that's considered, when we're talking about the Avums, we're going to jump into the meat of the episode now. But if you're curious as to the difference between Avum Prima, Avum Secunda, Avum Tertius, Avum Quartus, and Avum Quintus... Uh, go ahead and check out the podcast descriptions. We have, we'll have, um, we have a little, uh, summary that just says what the Avum is, what it represents, and a couple of associated episodes that would be a great place to start understanding them that, that take place during that time or focus on that time. But I think it's time now, it's Carter, time. to, it's uh, time. talk about the thing that sort of started it all for both us and the yeah, world of Halame. Is- this is the fall from paradise. This is the first betrayal. This is the first sin. It is it is uh, darkness incarnate. Um, so we talk about the Ash Curse, and this is something that comes up as as much as the Bible would talk about the Garden of Eden, or you know, people talk about you know mass extinction events when when mentioning evolution. Um, where should we start with this? I think we start with the actors on okay. stage. Right. So in at the beginning of time, there is a being known as Own, and Own makes all of reality. Part of what Own makes is Sudar, which is uh, the world where most of the conflicts and stresses and tensions and joys and sorrows and all of that sort of stuff happens. It's it's the land of mortals. Yeah, but it's important to note that he makes the heavenly realms they first they make the heavenly realms first yes and i think i think uh, it's more yes that is that is important so let's let's yeah so let's say this so owen makes the the heavenly realms which in halome is known as the ethereum and then later makes a space known as the primordium um the ethereum is a place of spiritual beings uh angelic forces etc the primordium is a place of pure material nature. So in the ethereum, people don't have physical bodies. They have a like an incorporeal incorporeal form. They may appear a certain way, but there's no material to it, not in the same way as there is in the primordium. And so when we say primordium, think primal chaos. Think elements clashing together, the source code of all of reality sort of bleeding out of it. If you're familiar with Plato's Republic, it's like the forms. And Owen creates these two things and then later basically combines the two to create Sidar, the stars, the other planets, the entire universe. And this is known sometimes uh, in D&D as the prime material plane. In Halumian lore, we just refer to it as the materium. Uh, if that's all confusing, just think of it like Earth. It's like Earth. So Sadar exists, and on Sadar, one of the things, first things that Own does is makes all of the living, breathing creatures that exist on it, both plants and animals, and also beings that we refer to as the knowing. Now, among the first of the knowing, we have humans. When we talk about the knowing, basically we just mean a creature that has a mind, a body, and a soul. So there are creatures in Halime that do not have, that might have a mind and a body, but no soul. These are known as the Riven, which we'll talk about, we talk about in other episodes. 
there are beings known as uh, uh, there, there, there are beings with a mind and a soul, but no body. And there's pe- beings with a body and a soul, but no mind and et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of different iterations of this. But the knowing are the, the beings that have all three. And in Owen's intent, it was supposed to be this way sort of forever. Um, should we talk about the Nine Flow now, or should we continue to talk about Avon Prima here? I think now we go switch to another actor, the Nameless One. Okay. Do you wanna you wanna you wanna get into that one? Sure, sure. I can give it. I can give it a go. So, okay. amongst the powers of the Heavenly Realms or the Ethereum, there is one who is now only known as the Nameless One. This is because of their betrayal of the, really, the entire Ethereum the, of, of Halumate. themselves. Of Halumate. Which, when we talk about Halumate, we just simply mean all things that are. If you want to capitalize each of the words in that statement, it just means capital T, th- capital T things, anything that exists, and then are, like, being, you know, they are entities. Uh, and this may sound like a silly thing to say but don't worry it actually matters later so just hold on to that for a second while we talk while carter continues yeah and the nameless one is not the most powerful of all these beings nor are they the weakest they're somewhere in between and through persuasion and convincing their fellows that what that they desire to help the world and halume in its entirety they managed to stage their ultimate betrayal. And the kind of the impetus from the reason why the Amos One is doing this is because they are jealous of the material. Basically, they thought perfection was in the spiritual. And when Own went on to create the material and the knowing, they felt they were betrayed. So Carter's getting at, first of all, if this sounds like the creation story of like Judeo-Christian Islamic connections, like Abrahamic religions, yeah, it's definitely pulled from that intentionally. Um, There are definitely our own twists and and takes that we are having, though, with it, Um, with one of the major ones being that the the satanic figure of the Nameless One, uh, they are... They feel betrayed by own. They feel as though something like they that they have been wronged. And the reason why is because they see the spiritual realm, the Ethereum, as being, since it was made first, like a firstborn child. It should be treated the best. It should be taken care of. It is the beings that are deserved of own's attention and time and thinking and consideration, right? But as a creator, as a maker own they saw it instead as being only an aspect of the rest of reality and in the limited nature of the being that was that is now known as the nameless one they weren't capable of recognizing that larger picture there was a macro scale that own understood and when they decided to create the primordium a lot of people later, the sages of the following Avums, recognize that as a natural step in the creative process, right? So you take the, the Ethereum, and then you create something different than that, the Primordium. And then the, fi- you know, the third step, at least you know, in this process, was to finally make you know, the Materium and by combining the two together. But to the Nameless One, when Owen moved on and made the Primordium, they believed that own was just abandoning them that they weren't they what they realized is is that out of their own ego they thought that they were more centrally located in sort of the cosmic relationships and so with own putting all this attention and force into creating the primordium and elemental so think like rock people or fire people or people made out of pure ice or whatever they became insecure and worried that like wait what's going on like why do you need to make this? What's wrong with the Ethereum? We're we're fine here. You don't have to add this other stuff. And so that starts to build an insecurity, a knot of anxiety inside of the nameless one. And then the then that gets that only gets worse with the materium. Yeah. The straw that broke the camel's back is the knowing. Right. And the reason why is because with with the knowing, this is the last straw because not only has Owen moved on from the Ethereum, 
and from the nature of things that are perfect already to the materium where things are dead and have no true spirit in them, and that thus invalidates them in the nameless one's eyes, then they move on to a place where not only are you taking that which is like dead and not, you know, not of any spiritual nature, but you're combining it with the spiritual into these abominations that are both like this amphibious amphibious nature that is both like material and spiritual. And that was, that was the, the last straw for them. They couldn't handle the idea of the spiritual realms being sullied by these creatures that, you know, chat and got dirty and had to rely on food. These were like, you know, there, there, it was like saying an animal can now enter heaven, not just an animal, like in a disgusting, you know, insect or worm or something. Troglodyte. Yeah. So it's like spiritual racism, basically. Yeah, it's fine. So what do they do, Carter? What is their decision? How does this result in the ash curse? You talked about uh, betrayal and like, you know, kind of manipulating others. Where does this all go? So we're going to have to lay a little bit more foundation before we can get to the act itself. Sure. So magic is very, very much linked with the spirit. The spirit is like a container for magical energy. And Oh, beings, yes, we got to talk about magic. Yeah, beings of spirit are beings of magic. And from On comes nine separate abstracts, and from the abstracts flows the nine flow, aptly yep. named. So in the future, you'll hear the concept of the Nine Flow mentioned, which is just the source of magic in all of Halame, and the Abstracts as the Nine Forces of Magic that it's sourced from. Yes, uh, each has their own name, but if you want to know more about that, check the description. Yeah, you can find out more about specifically the other stuff in the Abstracts in the description. Um, in the future, we'll mention them sometimes. So if that gets confusing, don't worry. We'll usually, we usually backtrack a little bit ahead and, and, you know, and explain what it is that we're getting into. But in the world of Halame, that is a fantasy world. The things that you can do with magic, if you're wondering like power levels or all that, well, that really depends on the age. So in Avon Prima, people had an incredible amount of power that they could enact through magic. Um, they were shifting continents at will, causing entire forests to rise up and and fall. And the reason why this all ended up working out was a couple of different things. The first one is because absolute power in this situation is checked by absolute power. If everybody has access to the same assortment of these abilities, if one person waves their hand to cause a continent to start to sink into the sea, the other person could just wave a hand to bring it back up again. Um, the other thing that's important is that these abstracts, each one of them is very defining of personalities. So there's nine major sort of like dispositions that people can, that people occupy or are influenced by in the world of Halime. Let's say, and we're more talking about later ages here, but it becomes important with referencing like the understanding the context of Avon Prima. So magic in the later years, literally moves across the planet like uh, like weather patterns. You can think of it as, for instance, charity coming over and and sort of like sweeping over a, a, an entire city. And as a result, people feel more empathetic, more considerate of others, more seeking the benefit of other people when it passes over. Yeah, charity being one of the nine flows. Right, one of the nine abstracts. Now, each one of these over time can start to cause a person's soul to sort of, um, we could, we could say direct in a specific direction. You know, if they are exposed to more charity, they might point themselves more towards charity. And as they grow up they're you know, it's sort of like the more you're aimed at it, the more comes to you and fills you. So over time, a person becomes full of charitable ideals, but they might not be able to connect with another person who says that, um, joy is the ultimate ideal, uh, or maybe not as much as ambition. This is all important because this is not how own originally scheduled for these things to be at the beginning. Everybody had all nine of these equally. There was a perfect balance. And so as a result, there was no true strife between peoples because everybody was able to see everyone else at eye level and recognize and validate their personalities. So now that we have that in hand, 
and in mind. <laughs> At the so in this Avum Prima, in the first age, magic came down from the Ethereum into this giant crystal in the center of Sadar, which was the center of basically the center of the Earth. Think of it like that. Instead right. of, you know, molten core with, you know, solid iron in the absolute center, there's this giant, giant crystal, which allows magic to be permeated through the entirety of the planet. Right. So these flows of magic, these abstracts, they're coming out of, when we, when we talk about the Ethereum, we're really talking about a collection of nine different realms that are collectively known as the Ethereum. So each one of them has is a different divine plane where one of these flows of magic comes from. And all that's important for you to understand right now is just that these fi- uh, these nine flows all converge or did converge in the Erebor crystal, the center of the planet. And as they flowed outwards from there, it was as though think of like water being plumbed from the depths of the world. And as it flows outwards, it permeates every square inch of the entire planet. Yeah, equally. Yeah, it's perfectly equally. So, this crystal is what the Nameless Ones set their sights on. They wanted to disconnect the realms of material and spiritual. So, Frank, how did they do it? Right. So, the Nameless One, as they're called now... What they ended up doing was they decided this as their vengeance because they looked at the way that Own doted on this materium. And not just Own, but also all the other gods of uh, the Ethereum. For in the Ethereum, there are there are many, many gods that Own created as sort of like subdivisions of their own presence and will. So somebody's got to take care of each of the abstracts. So that's nine gods right there. Somebody's got to take care of holding the cosmos together. That's another god. And, and so on and so on. You know, you've got different domains for different gods. And all of them are just in love with Siddhar. They, they, they love this realm. They love the materium. They treat it like a younger sibling. And they dote on it. And they're delighted by this 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 place that, that Own has created. And... All except for the nameless one who sees this and is just seething, furious, uh, but they keep it to themselves. Uh, an idea starts to form in their mind of, I want to get back at own. I want to punish them for the way that they're paying all attention to this. And honestly, in some little broken way, there was possibly even a a belief or a thought that maybe if this thing is no longer there, then own can return their attentions to what really matters, our realm. You know, you can almost think of it like a child who has, you know, struggles with abandoned feelings of abandonment. So what they did is around this time, (laughs) there's time before then things didn't really have a recorded uh, you know there was no like space time before the the primordium and in the materium it it actually matters and so things start being recorded with years right and in the first year humans are made when the humans are made being the first of all of the knowing races uh the nameless one looks at that and basically says there's 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 some text that turn this into sort of like a holy you know scripture or whatever and they're like a vow and the, they say it a lot better than we do uh, but basically it's like i shall give them a thousand years i shall let them live as a thousand years as though it were a day so that they can experience like true loss with you know what it is and so through their secret planning they start to plot and investigate and eventually they set their sights on this Erebor crystal this center this moon-sized crystal in the center of the world and they say ah if I can break that, if I can cause that to be destroyed, then they will be cut off and there will be nothing left for them to experience or connect with the ethereal realms. No longer will they be like sort of leeching off of all of our benef- like you know, benevolent energies. And so they start to enact things in the ethereum. In the ethereum where these different nine flows are all moving towards are all moving towards the materium, 
they begin to just tinker a little thing here and divert a little thing here and shift the water course of this flow of magic enough so that when they so decide, they become the conduit. They become the harnesser of all that energy and more. And so on the thousandth year, the the first day and the first month of the thousandth year, they gather up all of the energies of the entirety of the Ethereum, and they fuel it into one unstoppable spell centered directly towards the Erebor Crystal. Now, the Erebor Crystal is powerful, and in Helame, uh, crystals work as a conductor for magic. They act as both, like, you can think of them almost like a battery, you can think of them the same way we think of, like, metal circuitry, and so by firing all of this stuff, all of this magic of an overwhelming, unbelievable power, uh, the amount that is supposed to provide magic for the entirety of the realms of the Materium, at the Erebor Crystal, they're able to successfully shatter it crack it in, in in bits and and what ends up happening is this takes several days and during the time most of the other gods are just trying to figure out how to stop it and also save the people of the of the realms at the time knowing the fact that they can't truly set foot um on like on on Sadar itself but the nameless one is capable and they uh they end up being able to execute this and destroy the connection between the Ethereum and the Materium. Now, Carter, do you want to kind of get into, you know, the out the outcomes, the results of what, what we now call the Ash Curse? Of course. So this is the beginning of the Ash Curse. With the destruction of the Herbal Crystal, magic can no longer reach the Materium. It can no longer reach Sadar. And so, kind of sucks for the people that are there. And by that, I mean, like cataclysmic geological activity from the destruction of the very center of the planet. You know, volcanoes throw, you know, thousands upon thousands of pounds of ash into the atmosphere, causing, you know, massive amounts of death. Yep, mass extinction of, of like, plant life, and then, as a result, much most animal life. Yep, the oceans boil away. Just think, like, uh, the meteor that hit the dinosaurs. Same kind of vibe to it, you know, cause, uh, although I don't know, you know, how long that, that like volcanic winter was. I know that in, in Helame, we play with, you know, time scales, you know, a fair amount. So I don't even know if this is realistic. It, it works in Helame. Uh, I think the, uh, like the unofficial official time as measured by sages in the following Avum is they believe that it is roughly around 116 years. For that long, the clouds of ash cover the sky. Yes. Though, by the, by the time that um, you're even, you know, a quarter of the way through that, most things that are left alive have fled from the surface of the world. Right. So, you say that. Now, this is, a, this is actually a kind of an interesting thing for us. Uh, in D&D, there's, right, at least, at least in... Um, the Forgotten Realms, which is something that the Wizards of the Coast put together, it's kind of their big world that they that like most things take place in. Sort of the official, D, you know, world of 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 D anD. There is a place called the Underdark, and that is basically just a shortcut name for all of the tunnels and circuits and networks that exist in the ground below the the land of of the Forgotten Realms. And uh, in Helame, there's a similar thing going on. And the way that that space was created was because of these cataclysmic effects that happened in the center of the planet. So when uh, when the crystal shattered into different pieces, it it cracked into large, like you know, several large chunks. But also, not only that, one of the ways that magic actually moved through the strata of rock is because there was planted all throughout the world of Sadar. There were Crystals of different sizes, maybe as large as a house, maybe even larger, and some of them much, much smaller, the size of a uh, your fingers, uh, you know, fingers breadth apart. Just think of them like the nodes that are the divisions on the roots of a tree. So where two roots would split, 
that's where like a crystal would be located. And it allowed like lightning traveling to the ground, all of the energies of the Erebor crystal or of the nine flow through the Erebor crystal to travel up to the surface. And each one of those, when the ash curse was triggered, detonated, exploded, releasing an unbelievable amount of energy. It's honestly kind of incredible that the, the, the planet didn't just get exploded completely because uh, the, the energies, as they shattered and pushed up and into uh, each of those spaces, scoured the, the ground in there. Um, and with the combination of that creating spaces where they just vaporized rock and hardened a lot of edges of it with just like by, by fusing it together... You also had molten hurricanes going on underneath the surface that basically just permanently shifted the uh, the landscape underneath. And so as a result, the beings that uh, that lived on the surface, many of them just fled down to these other places so that they could breathe. Yeah, but I think we've covered enough about what's happening on Star. Now I think maybe we should look at what's happening in the Ethereum. Ah, yes, I was just thinking that. So while all of this is going on down uh, below ground what, or, and on the Materium, what is going on in the Ethereum right now, Carter? So, thankfully, Own themselves steps in to right this wrong. Which is a very rare event indeed in, uh, in Halloumian history. Yes, they're typically content to be the observer and just, you know, watch what they've done kind of blossom. But yeah, nobody's really quite sure where own is, you know, it's 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 a complicated thing when, you know, the creator of the world does nothing to stop all of the evil or, you know, destruction that happens as a result of the nameless one's actions. But they do step in and remove the nameless one's name and cast them into non-existence. So why is this important, though, Carter? We, we talked a lot now about the Nameless One and the fact that they don't have a name and how they're the only being in all of existence that doesn't have a name. Why does this matter? What's so important about a name? Names are important because names allow you to interact with the world. If you have no name, nothing in the world can interact with you, and you cannot interact with it. And this is included not only in, you know, when I say the world, I don't mean the materium. I mean all of Halume, to some right. extent. All of existence. So in its deepest nature, even the Ethereum is built on the facts and the truths of how things should operate. In other words, like, there are governing principles in as much as we have physics that tells atoms to how to hold themselves together. There are rules and laws and legislation that has been put into effect by own that tells spiritual worlds how to operate and how emotions, you know, function. And then on another layer, magic, right? How magic interacts. And in Halime, if you if you want to cast a spell, you need to be able to look at a thing, identify it, and then integrate that into the casting the spell it doesn't always mean that it's a vocal thing where you speak out the the nature of the thing but you were looking at it and calling it by its true name by the the name that it was given in the source code if you will of reality the thing as it's defined and without that information you get like a null return on a value it's like trying to like use a variable in in programming that just doesn't have a name um, and so you just get this chunk of data that is incomplete and does not function with anything else that's going on within the program. In the same way, uh, the Nameless One is thrown out of reality, disconnected from it, has their name ripped away from them to basically say you can no longer touch what is. And you can no longer interact with any of it. And so there's sort of this question then that floats of like, okay, so then where are they? And the answer is simply... They aren't. They aren't anywhere. Uh, they don't have a place to be. But despite saying that, there is a name for the place that they aren't. Yes, and that is the Howling Void. Yes. A timeless, spaceless realm that does not exist. <laughs> but it does. And starts to really screw up, like... You just, we don't have mental models to conceive of it. It's like that beyond which we can reasonably understand. It's we behind cannot rationalize your oven. It. 
basically. It's like, you never think of it. Anything that goes behind there will never return to you. Yeah. So in this space, uh, the nameless one is not idle. And I think unless there's anything else, I think that maybe that should this this will be where we cap sort of the explainer stuff and then um, kind of explore some some and investigate some things that we haven't talked about. Yeah. So is there anything before we that you might want to be like, you know, make this clear for the new listeners? Yeah. So I was just going to say, so like the nameless one, they're not killed because the one thing that own will not do is destroy. It is simply not in their nature. You know, they're not capable of destruction because it's the absence of everything that they are as a creator. And so what they do instead is they take the name away uh, from the nameless one. And by casting them into the howling void, well, before that, who knows what it was called, because this is back, you know, in a time of basically that the knowing were gods, you know, that the beings, the mortal beings were the equivalent of gods, you know, even underneath the gods. After this time, people start to give it a name. And the reason why is that that place where nothing can interact with it is it's able to talk back. It's able to actually the nameless one finds ways of eventually indirectly reaching through and having a touch into the world of the real. And this is through all the aberrations that they begin to form. I always their- imagine his non-exist- their non-existence and the kinds of things they do is like being oil and water where like, yeah, it, they separate out. But if you really stir it up and really get it in there, you can get some oil in the water, but it'll always settle out again. Yes, yeah, I, that's, a good, that's a good way of describing it. When, if you think about it this way, before there was the Nameless One in the Howling Void, the Howling Void was just a void. It was just the absence, and there was nothing going on inside. But the moment that they that own added an entity that was an entity and wasn't at the same time, they corrupted the nature of the void and gave it this this strange creature of an uh, of of its own and ironically the eventual destiny of the nameless one being cast into this void is almost to become of an amphibious nature not too unlike the knowing that they so hated because they are a being of both existence and non-existence of both eternity and heaven and you know the ethereum absence and abscess and the and and non-existence and in their bitterness and in their anger and also perhaps in an in insanity that nobody else can fathom uh they begin to build in their own image they say well if i cannot be you know I, yeah if i can't be then i shall make others in my image and i'll make a realm for you know those who are you know who are like me and so they begin to form by sharing their nature, their identity with this nothingness, and out of it begins to spawn these horrendous creatures, these be- entities of unlife. They are not alive, nor are they dead. They are askance to that entire process. And these come to be known as aberrations. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, think like Cthulhu esque eldritch horrors. That's where they come from. Yes. And. This this it's a very strange position the nameless one occupies, as you might expect from being an entity that does not exist. Right, just itself is kind of you know a paradox. But they almost become like unto own in that they are the master of non-existence. That's right, and become frighteningly powerful insofar as they can affect things. So that pretty much covers the Ash Curse. Now, I'm sure you've got a lot of questions about what happens and uh, how how can we leave uh, Halloumé in this terrible situation? Uh, you know, this it sounds like this be awfully bad to live in. Is this just a grim, dark, you know, fantasy tale where everything sucks all the time? Not entirely. I mean, you know, if you had if if things were probably felt like they were this cataclysmic for people in the stories of the garden of eden or you know for the dinosaurs for that matter probably sucked but uh here we are you know in 2019 everything's great (laughs) everything's just great in 2019 couldn't be better man i sure am grateful for that meteor you betcha but i think we're just gonna leave that for now um 
So normally our episodes are actually a lot more emergent and explorational, but uh, for this one, you know, definitely more curious, uh, you know, about laying down some groundwork so that we can all have sort of a common language when we talk about these things. But uh, as far as as far as other questions or thoughts or ideas, um, is there anything that grabbed you with this sort of iteration of the story that you'd be curious to explore more? Um, well, I, there's one thing that I think we didn't talk about very much, which is important to know. Looking forward to all the episodes we've done, mm-hmm. uh, the regents, those who oversee the nine flow and the abstracts. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the regents, uh, a regent is a name that we give to one of the nine beings that are left as a purveyor, not only of one of the nine abstracts that comes from the nine realms of the Ethereum, but also the realm in its entirety. So in the Ethereum, their existence is built on the backs of these quasi-conscious entities known as animus. Um, there are nine animus for the nine different realms. There are nine flows of uh, nine abstracts. There are nine uh, regents who govern over and look after these flows. And these are basically, that you can think of them sort of as like the Ur pantheon for Halome. They are the first gods um, that own assigns a presence um, to look after creation. Yes, and... The Nameless One was one of these. Yep, that's right. Uh, the Nameless One was actually uh, one of these nine beings, which uh, is how they even, you know, got to connecting all these different pieces together and causing all this destruction. Yes, and so there's, you know, we explore in a in which episode? It's the episode with Gade. So which episode? Yeah, um, let, me, let me pull that up. Let's see. So Gade was... Oh, the first demigod, episode 28. So in episode 28, we explore the interesting idea of what would happen and what did happen when one of the nine regents goes away. Right. And we also talk a bit about the beginnings of the regents and how they weren't just all created at once. Right. There was uh, an order. Was Atar and Prispa came first? I don't. I think it might be those two. I don't remember. Uh, you'll have to. You'll have to check the episode twenty-eight if you want more information about them. Oh god! I just realized that that's actually just so perfect. I think it is those two because that falls perfectly into place with some beliefs I have about human nature. <laughs> oh god! I love that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised because I mean, you are. Hey, you are half of the lore keepers. So if uh, if there's things that you have about human nature, I mean, we tend to do that quite a bit in this podcast, where we Very feed true. and and seed into things uh, our own perspectives on the world. So yes, obviously there's some um, not you know implicit bias. It's not always intentional. We do our best to you know kind of create things with balance or evenness. Yeah, but Frank, what about yourself? What do you think we should look back on? I think. I don't know. We sometimes talk about Yeva, which is the first city. It is where all of humanity was congregated at the time. Um, it's worth mentioning right now that uh, the elves also existed at this time, uh, although they were simply known as the Fae. Um, they, or what we'll say is that the elves came out of the Fae. They were they were like sort of the you know an iteration of the Fae. Yeah, the progenitor was the Fae, and then came out of the Fae came elves. Right. And uh, very quickly, the the Fae were just, they were made by the gods as a hyper-saturated iteration of what humans were. So, like, all of their features are more striking, more intense, their their joys more joyful, their sorrows more sorrowful. And they did it as sort of, like, a gift to humanity to not only basically show them, this is how we see you, this is how beautiful we think you are, but also as a creation um, that would then act as emissaries and ambassadors on behalf of humanity. I think, I think I'm curious as to like, it's, it's always difficult for for us to talk about Avon Prima because like conceiving of a world where everything is perfect is, I don't know. I think it can be kind of boring, you know, like just as, as a place where like we don't play around in Avon Prima, the first age very much. And I think it's for that reason. Yes, and it's it's funny um, that the idea that it's boring is not not a new idea. Like the Romans, they did not have the belief the same as the Greeks did, where you had this like beautiful like Arc- Arcadia of this like beautiful rolling wilderness where like everything was fine. You always had enough food and all this sort of stuff. The mm-hmm. Romans were like, if everything's perfect, I can't 
like fix myself. Like I, fixing yourself is a constant and forever thing that you must do yeah. until you die. It's a true part of the human condition is like we develop, we grow, we, we move on, we get better. We work towards something greater than ourselves. Yeah. And even maybe when you reach like the perfect state, quote unquote, there's always maintenance. You have to keep being good, good and all this mm. different stuff. So, you know, yeah, it's just hard to conceive of this idea where it's like, yep, everything's perfect. Everyone is infinitely powerful almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what if maybe it's time to talk about one of the seals <gasps> for our first anniversary? Oh, those little beautiful seals with their I don't... playing, you know, eating fish. Oh. So I talk sometimes about breaking the seal in uh, in, in Halime, and it's because Just ultimately, you know, um, Halime was initially my conception, and Carter is one of my players, and so sometimes there are things that I have to hold away from him um, or other people who are playing so that I'm not spoiling their games for them. I don't actually know if this is officially breaking a new seal, but I do think it's important because, and, and at, at the very least, it's an iteration of something that we've talked about before. Humanity... Their initial place was to replace the gods. Oh, you've already said this. Okay, yeah. Their destiny was Owen's next step. It was to it was to take these beings who are of body and soul and and mind to give them places of control uh, over different elements of reality, the hardness of elements, uh, or like the hardness of you know of metals or you know, the sound of a clarinet or something that somebody would literally be able to change and shape it as like in their own nature, just as much as they were shaped in the nature of own. Oh, I, I remember you saying it slightly differently where like each person, each human specifically would go on to become like on to own themselves. Ooh. Well, I mean, I think this is maybe what I meant, but honestly, I almost like that better. And this is what we're talking about in Halame. We're, we, we withhold the, uh, the, hold the right to basically just change things whenever we want if they're better narratively. And honestly, dude, that sounds awesome. Think about like, like literally they go off and create their own versions yes. of reality. Maybe this is where own came from. It could be. Maybe own was like an, an ascended being that came out of like a cycle. I mean, hell, dude, we could even just say, like, what if somewhere in the far-flung future, um, the loop of time comes back around again, and Own is the last aspect, the last being that has that that carried this power, like something has corroded or corrupted, and, like, coming all the way back like a Mobius strip, always moving forward in time, you know, when maybe we say that the other aspects, these these humans who lose um, their natures or whatever, they expire or, or get subsumed and when they die or, you know, or are permanently erased, their nature, their, uh, the, the things that they have control over are bequeathed onto another. And as these continue to converge, it creates one being known as Own. And Own then starts it all up again. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's, uh, that's an option. That's very exciting. I am not going to confirm whether that's actually true about Halume because we're talking, I mean, Avums and Avums out. That's like, Stuff this that would be yeah, happening. about the end of time. As yeah, much literally as time the end it. of time. Yeah, the end of linear time. Yeah. So, I don't know, but that idea is super intriguing. I think I like that more than just being like, honestly, you were thinking bigger picture than I was, and I thought I was thinking big picture. Well, again, this is something you told me. You just have forgotten. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I don't know where to go from here, so. Yeah, I don't know. Be That's... my guide. <laughs> Let's give it a second. Let's just think if there's anything else we want to build on or explore. Because the thing that's great about talking about the Ash Curse and, and, and this sort of beginning point for all of the things that flow out of it is that, yes, we don't get to necessarily think about conflicts or there. it's a lot harder to, you know... We're not going to, you know, so some episodes we might focus on, like, you know, a, a trades, you know, a trades guild or something. And we're not going to do that in this one. But we do get to do is this is a chance to step back and look again at the governing principles that Halame is built on and question them or shift them around or, or you know, play with them in, in one way or another. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. So I, we've talked about this before, but I don't remember what we decided. 
So I think it's important to to bring it up again. Uh, I'm going to make the, you know, necessary in our contract um, Lord of the Rings reference per episode, <laughs> one per episode, right? Well, we talked about Magic the Gathering. The only thing, you know, that would, uh, you know, finish this is our other, you know, part of the, you know, the hat trick. Yes. Which is, can you, can you tell me what the hat, the third piece of the hat trick is? I can't. Warhammer. Ah, we yes. haven't talked about Warhammer 40k. Yeah, so, but Lord- yes, uh, but yes, um, Lord of the Rings. What about it? Yes. Um, uh, have you ever heard of the Children of Hurin? No, I haven't. So By the book. way, uh, Carter is a huge uh, Lord of the Rings yes. buff and fan. So, the Children of Hurin refer to the tales, or specifically the tale of Turin Tarambar, who's a, ch- a child of this like, great human hero Hurin, who fought with the elves against the Great Dark Lord. Okay. And Morgoth, the Dark Lord, finally got his claws in Hurin. Okay. And he's like, listen, you've been a pain in my ass for a while, so I'm going to punish your kids, and I'm going to make you watch all of it. So he stuck him on, like, the highest point of his fortress, gave him the ability to see everything that's happening with his kids, and then, like, tied him up. And so my question here is, can the Nameless One see like Hurin can? Can he see all of the world and see what he's missing? I don't know. That's a good question. Cause, because it would it would make sense for him to be able to see it all, to be able to like do his plots, but it would be interesting as well to kind of pick him up as a blind force yeah. where he only gets information through his right, peons that can I somehow contact him. I don't think that he can see it. I but I do I do think we have there's a there's a a twist on this idea that we can do. I don't think he can see it. I think what he can do is he can perceive it. He has an awareness of it, but he can't ratify it. He cannot kind of think of it like this. It's like, you know how, you know, humans have uh, an ability to feel like somebody's watching them. And that comes from our subconscious being able to pick up signals. And we don't necessarily interpret those signals. We just know that it's happening. There's ways for us to have like this disconnect between our subconscious and conscious. And I think that for the nameless one, it is like this deafening but silent noise that is constantly going on around them where they are aware of every input of all of reality and all realities, including more than just the materium, but also other ones like the Alluvium and Orconus, which curious is what those are. Check out the podcast description. We have uh, specific designated episodes for those. For all the different realms, simultaneously maximal information as being the only point, the only place in all of reality where all of this stuff is like, you know, feeding out from. He doesn't have any uh, or they don't have any ability to filter it. But the problem is they also don't know what any of it means and they can't interpret it. They can't uh, uh, they can't make sense of the the noise. They just are aware of its presence, the vi- like the viralness uh, or the vitalness of life surrounding them constantly without any ability to not even just interact with it, but like even perceive it with the five senses. I know it's there, but I can't hear it. I am submerged in its presence, but I can't hear it. I can't feel it. I can't even have a sense of its of, of time passing there. I just know that it is. Okay, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe they're able to lessen it. Maybe this is the thing that actually sends the Nameless One to make other beings, is by making more beings, less of it is being directed towards them and more of it is being directed towards the entities that they make. I mean, I think almost like this is the reason why the Void is howling, and it's because it helps drown out oh, all the stuff. I like that. Yeah. And also, like, it's like, I love it when there's, co- like, contradicting things or, like, you know, when people talk about the etymology of, like, a term, like... Where did the term Howling Void come from? Well, some scholars of Halame will tell you that it's because the Nameless One is always screaming there. And other, more philosophical, not just scream, it's not just the Nameless One going, ah, <laughs> for all of eternity. Um, but, you know, because of all the monsters there, right? But other scholars will tell you, well, no, it's actually because in the Howling Void, that is where all of the excess of information just spews out into um, you know, it comes from the primordium, the nature, the thingness of things, you know, um, a chair being very chair-like, you know, or, uh, you know, lava being very lava-like in that it is hot and bread and whatever. 
all of that information just spews without any like uh, discernment into the howling void or out into the howling void. Yes. God, this, this almost makes me think that there's some, like maybe the whispers of the nameless believe this, or maybe there's just some even like super radical whispers are the only ones that do believe this. Mm-hmm. By the way, for the, for the whispers of the nameless, they're a secret organization that worships the nameless one. See the podcast description. Yep. I wonder if there's, there are some that believe that the nameless one is own what exactly why would so what is the what do you think like what is the correlation there i mean i'm definitely all for you know perceptions of you know oh god and the devil are really just two halves of the same being or not even two halves they're all mixed together like you're saying oil and water shooken up like like own did this to themselves or something yeah something like um in order to properly banish them own had to banish themselves or something like this and then become mm. one with the nameless one. Oh, that's interesting. What if? I mean, hell, you could get you could get really Kingdom Hearts with it and say what happened was uh, that own somehow there was like a switch and like everything that was owned like became the nameless one, and this was the only way that it would work. And everything that was the nameless one became own. Yes. All of the memories that own the current own has up till this point is like what the nameless one was and they're like burdened with knowing what they did everything that the nameless one you know currently is has all of the memories of own up until that point when the inversion happened and like mad yeah i know it's absolutely crazy but absolutely kingdom hearts yeah like i said get really kingdom hearts with it um but, like, that's the kind of stuff that's like, I mean, hey, we really can just play with this shit. Like, as long as it's good narratively and creates interesting world building, nothing is sacred. Not even the creator or the devil. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, I don't know if there's anything else you want to you wanna get at. I feel there's probably some other other things we could do. Anyways, so we could probably go on forever about just different ideas and throwing things out here and... We do. I mean, we do that literally every week. So if you want to hear more of us, this episode, we're going to be closing out on this one. Um, Again, if you were looking for the original episode and found yourself caught listening to this one, just go ahead and check out the next one in the queue, episode 1X. That's our initial version. For those of you who have been with us for a year, thank you so much for uh, supporting us and being there to listen to each episode that, uh, that comes out. I really do mean it honestly that like we wouldn't continue to make this show unless people continue to listen. For those of you who are have been with us that long, you probably are aware of the fact that our first episodes, we used to start with short stories that will be coming back. I still believe that. I still believe that uh, when I have the time to write more short stories and narrate them, I will add those. For uh, But uh, for the time being, you can always go back and listen to the old ones. I think the first maybe dozen or so episodes each have a, a little short story that kind of sets the tone. Curious about those. Just be forewarned that uh, <laughs> we were still learning a lot about what it means to record. And so the audio quality is not super great. But I think I think that pretty much catches us up with uh, with where we're at. So I think on behalf of both Carter and I, we say welcome to Halime. Yes. And also... This is where you say thank you for oh, listening. Yes, yeah. And also, <laughs> so and also, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this exploration into the lands of Sadar and the realms beyond, and perhaps found some good material to add to your own stories. You can reach us at the Lore Keepers on Twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com. These are great places if you want to send us your ideas or your thoughts for. Um, things that you want to see. Maybe you had thoughts about the episode and want to put a twist on uh, one of our ideas. Or maybe you're a world builder who uses us as inspiration or fodder for um, you know looking for new places of their own world to consider. And maybe you hit a roadblock and you're looking for something new to explore. You can always send us ideas for episodes you want us to do, uh, things you want us to explore about Halime um, in the uh, in in email or Twitter or whatever. Um, email is probably the easiest way to reach us. Uh, Twitter's we're not super active on Twitter, but yeah, I would say that's probably the best way to reach us. Yeah, you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you can listen to podcasts like Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. My favorite, Podbean. Uh, uh, according to Frank, I don't know this, but Frank does. 
We are literally everywhere. If you can listen to a podcast on it, we're on it. And if you can't listen to us on that surface, tell us we'll get on that surface. Bam. Uh, if you like us, give us a five-star rating. Helps a ton. Uh, you know, tell us about everything in the in the rating that you like about us. It'll make us feel lovely and make us, you know, it'll inspire us to do even better episodes. But if you don't like leaving reviews, you can also tell your friends. You can tell your... In, you can you can tell your Islamic or um, Abrahamic or whatever <laughs> God <laughs> tell them about us. Yep, you can tell uh, you can tell Satan. Satan yep. probably I don't know. If Satan listens to uh, to lore keepers, but you know they they certainly you know he certainly could. Uh, gosh, who else? You should probably tell tell the firstborn humans. You know the first ones who came out of Africa. Um, you know, if, if you know any of them or any of their, uh, descendants, they, I'm sure they would love listening to this episode. Yep. You can tell any number of angels and gods about us, uh, tell the earth itself and the center of the earth as well. <laughs> and finally, uh, thanks to Josh Silka for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lorekeeper's theme, which has served us so well, uh, this year and for the years to come. And thanks to all of you for listening. Until next time. Don't forget, there are always more tales to tell. Thank you, everybody, for a wonderful year. Yep, bye. Bye.